Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Miami Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Tonight, I want you to turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 16. That's where I'm going to start. I'm not going to stay there, but I'm going to start there. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, this is the story of where Samuel went to anoint David to be king. And the background to this is that in the 10th chapter is where Saul became king. And Samuel loved Saul. He just had a heart for Saul. And Saul was kind of like his protege. And he was really united with him. But over the 10th through the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel, Saul just rebelled at God because he was a people pleaser. He was constantly trying to please everybody else. And because of it, God took the kingdom away from him. And it said that Saul, Samuel spoke the words of God to Saul, but it says he mourned for him every day. His heart was broken when Saul rejected the Lord. You know, this same thing goes on today. There's people that just get hurt when they see ministers fall and make mistakes, or it doesn't have to be a minister. They just see people that turn away from the Lord that at one time were turned on to the Lord. And it breaks people's heart. And some people spend the rest of their life grieving over what somebody else has done. They take the offense of other people. And so that's the background. And look at this in chapter 16, verse 1. 1 Samuel 16, 1. It says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. And I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. That is a powerful passage of scripture. How long are you gonna mourn over this? I've rejected him. If God has rejected this person, if those people have rejected God, how long are you gonna sit here and mourn over these other people? You need to fill your horn with oil. That's always symbolic of the Holy Spirit. You need to get full of the Holy Spirit and go do what I told you to do. Boy, that's for somebody here. There are some of you here that are grieving over things that other people have done and you are blaming God for it and wondering why God let this happen. God isn't the one who causes these problems. God didn't do this. You just need to go on with what God told you to do. So anyway, he went down to Bethlehem and he uh, told Jesse that he was coming to anoint one of his sons to be king. He had seven sons and Jesse only brought six of the sons in there. He didn't even bring David into the mix. He left him out in the field tending the sheep. David was the run of the litter. It says down here that he was ruddy. That means he was red. People don't know if that's talking about his hair or if it's talking about his complexion, but he was ruddy and with all of a beautiful countenance. He was a mama's boy. He was a pretty boy. And he was the youngest of the group. And so they left him with the kids because they figured he hadn't got a chance. And in the seventh verse, look at this. It says that Eliab, that's the oldest brother, and he was the strongest, the biggest of all of them. You got to remember that the previous king, Saul, was uh, taller than anybody else in the nation by nearly a foot. The next tallest person only came up to his shoulders. So Saul was this great specimen of humanity. And uh, uh, Samuel was looking for somebody kind of like Saul. And so it says in verse seven, 
Let me go back and read in verse six. It says, and it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And this is the verse that I'm wanting to focus on is that people tend to judge things based on the outward appearance. This is at the root of all racial prejudice and not only racial prejudice, but prejudice between genders, prejudice against persons that don't have as much money and don't dress as nice, people that aren't as wise and as educated as other. All of these things are external things. And it says over in 2 Corinthians chapter five, he says, we know no man after the flesh. Although we knew Christ after the flesh, we don't know him that way anymore. And Paul said that he didn't judge any person based on the flesh. All prejudice, all rejection, all hatred, all of these riots, everything you see is because people, carnal people look on external things and judge people based on these external things. Thank you for that thunderous silence. <laughs> and you know, today people are saying, oh no, it's because this, you know, history and this and all. It's just human nature to be carnal and to judge people that are different than you and reject them and everybody has to be like you and stuff like this. It's just sinful human nature. But God, in contrast to this, doesn't judge any one of you based on your outside. Paul said that in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, nor male nor female. God doesn't base his acceptance or love for you based on anybody's external. It says man looks on this outward appearance, but God looks on your heart. And you know, when I use this passage of scripture to many people, this strikes fear in them because they may have cleaned up their outside. You may have cut your hair, you know, put your dress a certain length, piled uh, your hair up on the top of your head, conformed to all of the outside rules. And there's some people that have learned to clean themselves up and look relatively good on the outside, but on the inside, they know that, man, they still aren't the person they're supposed to be. They still get angry, bitter, etc., And they just, this strikes fear in their heart. But what I'm wanting to share with you is that God looks beyond just your physical body. He also looks beyond your soul, the way you think and feel. There is another part of you that the Bible calls the spirit. And when you get born again, you are a completely brand new person in your spirit. And I don't believe that most Christians really see themselves the way that God sees them. This verse is making it clear that God doesn't look at you based on your outside. And this isn't only talking about the color of your skin or your actions. It's talking about he doesn't deal with you based on your performance. He doesn't love you based on how holy you are. The way that God relates to us is based on who you are in Christ. Amos chapter three, verse three says, how can they walk together? How can two walk together except they be agreed? You cannot truly be in lockstep with the Lord. You cannot be having a great relationship with the Lord if you don't see yourself the way that God sees you. And contrary to what many people have been taught, God is not mad at you. 
God is not angry at you. God is not upset with you. Every person in here has failed and blown it. Some of you are thinking, well, not me. I'm a good person. Any person who thinks that you're awesome and that God really loves you because you are doing such a good job, you have never really been in the presence of God. That's a big statement, but I'll defend it. You can turn to many passages of scripture. Fifth chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was already a prophet and prophesying for the Lord, but then the Lord showed up. And it says in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and immediately he fell on his face. Oh God, I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Daniel, when he saw the glory of the Lord, fell like he was dead on his face and he had to be strengthened. Ezekiel had the same thing happen. Moses, when he saw the glory of the Lord, man, he just crumpled. Any person who's sitting there maintaining how awesome you are and look what I've done, you may have heard about God, but you've never been in the presence of God. You get into the presence of God and I guarantee you there's not a one of us that has anything to brag about. God does not love you because you are lovely. He loves you because you are love. And if you don't agree with that statement, then you, again, don't know God. Once you see God and once you see who he is, I guarantee you, you have this instant intuitive knowledge of your relative unworthiness. You do not deserve the presence of God. You do not deserve the blessing of God. I have people come to me all the time and say things like, I've been fasting, praying, studying the word. I pay my tithes. I go to church. I'm holy. I'm doing this. Why hasn't God healed me? Anybody who follows that logic means that you, you don't understand God. You think somehow or another you've done something to earn it. There's people that get offended. They, they're in church. They go to church every time the doors are open. They buy, bake pies for people when they need it. They participate in all of the church stuff. And they've been trying to get healed for decades and they can't get healed. And then a drunk comes in and while he's drunk, he gets healed of the very thing that they were believing for. And they swell up like a toad, like, why didn't God do that for me? It's because you were trusting in your goodness and the drunk didn't have any goodness and he just received it by putting faith in what Jesus did. I'm telling you, our self-righteousness is a barrier to God. But there's some people that have gone through the motions and they look pretty good on the outside. But you know, inside, I guarantee you, every one of us fails to be the person that we're supposed to be. Every one of us, we are, we're selfish. When the Lord told us we're supposed to prefer other people ahead of ourselves. None of us love our wife as Christ loved the church. We may be getting better at it than we've ever done, but you still have, don't love your wife the way that Christ loved the church. You're commanded to do that in Ephesians chapter five. And there's not a woman in here that reverences her husband the way the church is meant to reverence Christ. You may do better at it than you've done, but I guarantee every one of us fail. None of us fail, none of us fulfill anything. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. You cannot relate to God based on this outer person, your actions and your performance. But the good news is God isn't even looking at your soul. It says in John chapter four, verse 24, the Lord said that God is a spirit 
And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit, not in the body, not in your actions, not based on your performance, and not in your soul, not in your personality part, not in the way you think, but you have to worship him in spirit and in truth. What does in spirit mean? John chapter six, verse 63, Jesus says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The word of God is spirit. We have, to, we have to relate to God based on what the word of God says, not how you're acting, not how you feel, not how you've thought, but you have to base your relationship with God on who you are in the spirit. And I wanna share with you tonight, this is what literally transformed my life because I got born again when I was eight years old, the very first time God ever nailed me over a sin. Not the first time I'd ever sinned, but the first time I really had the Holy Spirit reveal my need for salvation. I mean, I repented and I got born again at home. I wasn't in church, I got born again and it stuck. And I have been seeking God with my whole heart since I was eight years old. So I got born again, but then I went to church and I became a religious Pharisee and I was told that you had to do all of these things. So I started doing everything. I read the Bible every day of my life. I prayed every day of my life. I remember in, uh, I don't know, I was probably 10 years old, 11 years old. They were trying to teach on how we don't pray as much as we should. And so they said, how many of you pray every day? And there's a few of us kids that raised our hand. And then they said, how many of you pray five minutes every day. And there were still a few that had your hands up. How many, 10 minutes? And they kept going and they were up to 30 minutes. I still had my hand up and they said, now you know you shouldn't lie. <laughs> they couldn't believe that I'd pray 30. I used to pray, I've prayed my whole life. I've been seeking God my whole life. And they were telling you that these are the things you have to do to have God love you and to answer your prayers. And I've been seeking God my whole life, but I fell into the trap of trusting in the things that I was doing and thinking that because of this, God was gonna answer my prayer because I hadn't gone out and sinned. You know, I'm, I'm 65 now and I've never used a word of profanity in my life. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never tasted coffee. I have lived a holy life, amen. <laughs> And I know some people, they're just shocked, but see, I fell into trying to do, there's nothing wrong with living a holy life, but my faith was in my goodness instead of in what Jesus had done for me. And even though I may have lived better than you have, who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you know what? My conscience always condemned me. I remember one time getting up and studying the word 16 hours. I didn't eat, I fasted all day and I read from Mark all the way through the book of Revelation in one day and I studied 16 hours and at the end of the day I was praying and feeling pretty good about myself and thinking, God, this is awesome. I read nearly all of the New Testament in one day and I was thinking about it and then the thought came to me, you were up 17 hours, you wasted an hour. And I wound up going to bed feeling like, oh God, I failed. I, I'm telling you, you just can't be holy enough. 
The devil is the accuser of the brethren. He's a master accuser. And there is always going to be something that you fail in. You're always going to be wrong in something. You aren't ever going to be perfect. And as long as you think that you have to be perfect and that you have to live holy in order for God to love you, your own heart is going to condemn you. Satan is going to amplify it and you are never going to have confidence and faith that God will move in your life. Most people don't doubt that God has power. They just doubt that he will use his power on their behalf because they know they don't deserve it. And all of that is true except for the new covenant. And in the new covenant, see what I was missing and what I'm trying to get across is God doesn't look on your outer appearance. Not only your physical appearance, he doesn't look at your actions. And he also doesn't deal with you based on your soul, your mental, emotional part of you. Whether you're encouraged, discouraged, whether you're thinking holy, whether you hate that person. That's not how God deals with you. God is a spirit and God deals with you based on who you are in the spirit. And this is what totally changed my life. I, like I told you, I became this religious Pharisee. I got to trusting in my goodness. And then on March the 23rd, 1968, God just showed up in my life. I didn't see anything with my physical eyes, but I was in the presence of God. I was caught up into the presence of God. And when, I, when that happened, I tell you what, all of my self-righteousness evaporated instantly. I realized what a jerk I was, what a Pharisee I was. I was in front of the leaders of the church and all of my friends that I had spent an entire lifetime trying to impress with how good I was. And when I saw the holiness of God in my relative unworthiness, man, I just ruined whatever reputation I ever had. You know, the Bible says if you lust, you're guilty of adultery. If you hate, you're guilty of murder. If you even think it, you're guilty. I'd never committed the acts, but man, I started confessing things, turning myself inside out, revealing all of the rotten thoughts and feelings that I had in front of all of these friends and leaders. I mean, I just, it's like I just, you know, threw up all over everything and showed people all of the rotten stuff on the inside of me. And I honestly expected God to kill me, but before he killed me, I was going to confess everything I could think of. So hopefully I'd go to heaven instead of to hell. And what changed my life was that to my surprise, instead of God hating me or punishing me, I got caught up into the presence of God for four and a half months. I was gone someplace. I was enveloped in the love of God. I didn't eat or sleep consciously for four and a half months. I mean, I would eat something, but I never sat down and ate a meal. I would sleep 30 minutes or an hour at a time. And then I was awake. I was so excited about being in the presence of God. I couldn't handle it. And for four and a half months, I was just gone someplace in the presence of God. And it was wonderful, but it ruined my theology because I had been taught that it's when you are holy, when you get rid of this, when you fast and pray enough and when you go to church and when you pay your tithes and when you live holy, then's when God's gonna reveal himself to you. For the first time in my life, I had realized how unholy I was. 
and I had just confessed all of my unrighteousness. I, I realized that I didn't have any claim to anything. And I totally renounced all faith and confidence in myself. And that's how I experienced God. It was opposite of what I was taught. And so I knew intuitively that God's love for me wasn't based on me. It had nothing to do with my goodness. It was all grace. It was all mercy. I knew that, but I, it was contrary to everything I'd been taught. And it took me probably a decade to begin to start understanding the scripture enough to where I could understand this and walk in it. But the, the thing that turned my life around was I read a statement that when you get born again, look at this over in 2 Corinthians chapter five, and let me turn over here and share this with you. 2 Corinthians chapter five, I read this verse, I had quoted it before, I knew the verse, but I didn't understand it. But in 2 Corinthians chapter five, verse 16 is the verse that I quoted just a while ago. It says, wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known uh, Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. I quoted that a minute ago, and I applied that to not knowing people based on their gender, based on their color, based on their education, based on their wealth or stuff. But in context, what he's talking about is that he didn't know any person based on just who they are in their physical body. Each one of us have a spiritual man on the inside. And Paul was saying, I only know people spirit to spirit. I judge a person based on their spiritual relationship, based on their character at a heart level. That's an amazing truth. And then he says in verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. One translation says a new creation. Another translation says a new species of being that never existed before. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now the wording here, it just, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I had always thought that when it says that when you're in Christ, old things pass away and all things become new. I had just interpreted it that that is a progressive type of thing and I am in the process of becoming new. I'm in the process of getting rid of the old and that as I go along, I'm gonna get better and better and better. But boy, it just became a revelation to me. The Holy Spirit revealed to me that no, it says that if you are in Christ, old things have passed away and all things have become new. They aren't in the process of happening. It's a done deal. It's accomplished. You are brand new. And when I saw this, I really struggled because I would look in the mirror and I'd think this isn't brand new. <laughs> you know, I was a teenager at the time and I had zits. And I'd look at this and think this couldn't be new, amen. <laughs> this isn't the way it's supposed to be. You can take scripture and show that, you know, someday we're gonna know all things, even as also we are known, but right now we only know in part and we prophesy in part. See, the problem that I was having and that I feel most people have is they are like it is over in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Man looks on the outward appearance. Most of us only know ourselves in the physical. 
You know, if you had called me and if you said, I'm coming to the meeting tonight, and I said, well, I want to meet you. What do you look like? Every one of you could describe yourself. Tell me, you know, if you're white or black or yellow or green or whatever. You could tell me how tall you are, whether you're short, fat. You could tell me if you're a male or a female. You could describe whether you have hair or don't have hair. And you could go on and you know you in the physical. You could describe yourself and I could figure out who you are. But did you know that very, there's very few people, and I know that most of you are people that are probably the cream of the crop on a Thursday night listening to a guy at a convention center. So you aren't your nod to God crowd that goes on Sunday morning. But nonetheless, even out of these fanatics that are here, did you know what? Very few people here really know yourself, who you are in the spirit. We know ourselves in the physical. You know yourself mentally. Every one of us have an image. You know, there are some people that are extroverts, other people that are introverts. There are some people that are just, you know, motivated. They're go-getters. There's other people that are shy and bashful and hold back. And you could describe yourself emotionally to me. You could describe your personality to me and tell me what kind of person you are. Most people know themselves in the physical body and in the soulish realm but there's very few Christians that see themselves the way that God sees them. And that scripture I started with, Amos chapter three, verse three, can two walk together except they be agreed? God sees you as you are in the spirit and in the spirit, you are completely changed. You are a brand new species of being that never existed before. And the sad thing is most of us don't know it. We just think, if I was really changed, I'd know it. No, you don't, wouldn't, because in uh, John chapter three, Jesus said that which is flesh is flesh and that which is spirit is spirit. They're two different realms. There is a physical realm, which we, most of us live in and we function in and we think of that. But you know, there's also a spiritual world. Most of you hadn't even thought about this, but did you know that tonight there are thousands and thousands and thousands of angels in this room? And some of you think, well, I don't believe that. Why? Because you can't see it. There's all kinds of things going on that you can't see. Did you know right now there's television signals in this room? And somebody says, well, I can't see them. That doesn't mean they aren't here. It just means you aren't real smart. <laughs> they are here. You could prove it by taking a television set and putting it up here, plugging it in, turning it on. And when the set starts broadcasting the signal is not when the signals come. The signals are already here. You just, they're in a different realm. You can't receive it. You have to have this receiver that receives it and then rebroadcast it. But there are television and radio signals in here. I'm using a wireless microphone and you know how that works? It's broadcasting a signal back there that is received and then they send it through these speakers. There are wireless signals in here, but you can't see them, you can't feel them, and you can't hear them until you have something that receives it and puts it back into a realm that you can see and hear and perceive. There's all kinds of things going on beyond your little peanut brain's ability to know it. This thought that if I was changed, I'd know it really shows how dumb we are. In the natural realm, we don't function that way. You know, you don't understand how a cell phone works, but you use it, amen? And yet, you know, it's just amazing how that thing works. I don't totally understand, but you use it. There's all kinds of things going on that you function in every single day that you don't know and understand. 
The Bible says that when you get born again, you are a brand new creature. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. And by process of elimination, you can decide that that is not your physical body. If you were a man before you got saved, you're still gonna be a male after you get saved. If you were a female, you'll still be a female. If you were short, you'll still be short. If you were fat, you'll still be fat. Amen. I know some of you wished that it was all, you know, that your physical body instantly changed, but it didn't. You, and it's not your soul that changed either because if you, you still have your memories, you still have your personality, you still have your things, your soul and your body do not change. And you can prove that every single person, when you got born again, your body and your soul didn't change. And because most people only acknowledge the physical, natural realm, then they read a scripture like 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if you're in Christ, you're a brand new creature and they see a disconnect. They, they see something in the word that's different than what they see with their eyes. And so they get to where, well, the Bible is so hard to understand. And they come up with alternative meanings like, well, this must mean that I'm in the process of changing. This must mean that I've begun the process and we start interpreting it. But no, it means just exactly what it says. And the key to understanding this, the key that unlocked the word of God for me was when I started understanding that I am new in my spirit. I'm pointing to my belly because the Bible says in John chapter seven, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the spirit, which they that believed upon him would receive. So the Bible indicates that your spirit is in your belly. Some of us look like we got more of the spirit than others, but it's not true. <laughs> so when I started understanding that in Christ, I'm a brand new person and you can't see into your spirit. You can't feel it. This thought, well, if I was changed, I'd know it. No, because it's in the spiritual realm. It's in the same realm that the angels are and it's demons. You can't see them, but it does exist. The spiritual world is what created this physical world. God is a spirit and God existed before there was any physical, tangible substance. Everything tangible came from something intangible. Yeah. Hebrews chapter 11, verse three says, we understand through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which were seen were not made of things which do appear. Everything physical that you can see was created by something you can't see, created by God, created by words. The spirit realm is the parent realm. It's the greater realm. It's the, uh, it's the creative realm. And so it, it, it's stronger, it's greater than these physical things that we can see. You know, I feel like right now, this is just hard for most people. They just, right here, they unplug like, oh man, he's talking about some intangible, something that's not real. The spiritual realm is more real than this physical realm. And the spiritual you is the real you. You know, I've been talking about that if you're in Christ, you're a new creature, you're a new species of being that that's talking about your spirit. Well, you can turn this around the opposite way. Adam and Eve, it says that they were created in the image of God. And he said that the day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. Did you know they did not die in their physical body that day? 
Now again, people come up and they try and say, well, dying, you're going to die. That's implied in the Hebrew. And they come up with all kinds of ways to try and make it look differently because Adam lived to be 930 years old before he died physically. And so they come up with ways to try and explain it. The simple explanation is they died in their spirit. They didn't die in their body that day that they ate of it. The Lord said, the day you eat of it, you will die. But they didn't die in their body. They died in their spirit. And the word death in the Bible doesn't mean ceasing to exist the way some people think of. It doesn't mean the end. It just means separation. When a person dies physically, James chapter 2, verse 26 says, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. All death is, is your soul and your spirit separating from your body. It doesn't mean that you are dead. You are still alive. You're more alive after you die than you are in this physical life. You still exist. It's just separation. So when it says that they died the day they ate of it, it didn't mean that their spirit literally died and it was non-functional. It just means it was separated. It was separated from God and it began to function independent of God. And it actually began, uh, the scripture says in James, Ephesians chapter two, that we were by nature, that's talking about your spirit, a child of the devil. And we were all born in sin. And Adam and Eve's sin, uh, spirit died. Their physical body didn't die. It was their spirit that died. The reverse of this is when you get born again, it's not your physical body that gets changed and all things become new. It's your spirit that gets changed. And you are totally, totally, totally brand new in your spirit. The problem is we haven't understood this. And how can two walk together if they aren't agreed? God is looking at you and he thinks you're awesome because God is a spirit. And God sees you in your spirit. And you're upset because you're overweight. You're upset because you sinned again, because you drank, because you cussed, because you got in the flesh, because you did this. And you're looking at yourself on the outside and you're displeased with what you see. And so you think, how could a holy almighty God love you? You don't even love you. But it's because you look on the outside. God is looking at you in the spirit and in the spirit, you're brand new. And in the spirit, you are perfect. You are perfect. You are as holy as Jesus. I'm just going to say some things because I haven't got time to turn over there. You need to get my teaching on spirit, soul, and body. I've got this in a lot of different things. But it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, put on the new man, which is talking about this part of you that was born again. Put on the new man, which after Christ, after God is renewed. How does that go? And that you may put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Your spirit, when you got born again, was created righteous and truly holy, implying that there's false holiness. You know what false holiness is? All of these outward things that people look at, whether you pile your hair on your head and wear certain clothes and stuff, that's false holiness. True holiness is in the spirit and you were created righteous and truly holy. You aren't growing and becoming that way. You were created that way. Instantly, you are the righteousness of God. And if somebody says, oh, I'm not righteous. 
Well, the Bible says over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 29 or 30, it says, Jesus is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. If you say, well, all of my righteousness is like filthy rags, then you're calling Jesus a filthy rag because he is your righteousness. He was made unto you. You are as righteous in your spirit as Jesus is. You're pure, you're holy, you're uncontaminated. And I know some of you just can't embrace this because you say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what Jesus has done. If you made Jesus your Lord, you are changed. You are new and you are pure in your spirit. It says in 1 John chapter four and in verse 17, it says, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Some people have tried to interpret that. Well, I'm living as holy as Jesus is what this is talking about. Give me a break. There's not a person in here that can claim that you are as Jesus is. You might be more like Jesus is than you used to be, but there's not a person in here that can claim I am like Jesus is. No, this isn't talking about your physical body. This is talking about in your spirit. When you were born again, you were created in righteousness and true holiness and your born again spirit is as pure, as righteous, as holy as Jesus. It also has the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, we have the mind of Christ. We don't have a mind, talking about this physical mind up here, that is a little bit like Christ and is being influenced by Christ. That's true that all of us are in a different stage of renewing our mind and changing our thinking. But in your spirit, you have the mind of Christ on the inside of you. Everything that Jesus knows, you know. And again, people just, this is crazy. They say, I can prove to, I couldn't even find my car keys today. I was looking for my glasses and they were on top of my head. Man, I don't know all things. You are searching this peanut brain up here looking for something, but in your spirit, you have the mind of Christ. And this is why the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues is so important. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14, it says, when you pray in tongues, your spirit prays. The part of you that has the mind of Christ. And it says in 1 Corinthians 14, 13, if you pray in tongues, pray also that you interpret. You can pray in tongues and it's your spirit that has the mind of Christ that is praying. And all you have to do is say, Lord, show me what I'm saying. You're speaking the hidden wisdom of God. First Corinthians chapter two says that. And all you gotta do is say, show me what I'm saying. When you speak in tongues, you can interpret it and God will give you wisdom and you can draw beyond your natural wisdom. You can draw this spiritual wisdom that's on the inside of you out. It says in first John chapter two, verse 20, it says, but we have an unction. That means a special endowment of power from the Holy One and you know all things all things, not some things, all things. And yet in religion, we have these songs about further along, we'll know all about it. Further along, we'll understand why. I'm just a poor wayfaring pilgrim, oh God. And we, we glorify and we talk about this physical and our mental part that is so lacking in all of these things. And we approach God like that. 
and we say, oh God, I come before you so unworthy today. Well, get out of your flesh and get into the spirit. You're supposed to worship him in spirit and in truth. If you come before him saying, oh God, I'm so unworthy, then you're in the flesh. You can't worship God that way. You got to step over into who you are in Christ. And you can sit there and, and once you understand this, the devil can condemn you and say, you aren't worthy. I used to argue with him and say, hey, I'm more worthy than I have ever been. I'm praying more, I'm fasting more, I'm doing more. You know, the moment you get to try and justify yourself, you've lost. The devil's been at this for thousands of years. He's sharp. He can, he'll, he'll find something to accuse you over. But now, you know, the scripture says, agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way. And I just agree with him. And I say, you know what? You're right. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy for God to use me. But I think I'll just stand in who I am in Christ. I'll stand in what Christ has done. I'll pray over people in the name of Jesus instead of in the name of Andrew Wama. See what that is? I'm getting in the spirit. And in the spirit, I'm pure and I'm holy and I've got an unction from the Holy One and I know all things. But again, most people, they will come up against their problems. The doctor will say cancer and they will approach it from the natural. Oh, there's no cure for cancer. That's only in the physical realm there's no cure for cancer. In the spirit realm, cancer's no problem. It's no big deal. If you were standing in who you are in Christ, if you were seeing that, man, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, I guarantee you, you wouldn't be afraid of cancer. You wouldn't be afraid of age. You wouldn't be afraid of any of this stuff. People say, well, I'm over 40, and you know, you got it, your body's slowing down. I had my, bro well, I'm not even gonna tell you about that, but <laughs> my brother, I had to counter him on the phone this last week saying, you know, as you get older, and I, I said, no, no, no. And he says, you can say whatever you want to, but this is the way it is. And I just had to keep countering him. And people think, well, that's true. It's true in the natural, but I am not just natural. One third of me is wall to wall Holy Ghost. I've got God living on the inside of me. I'm a changed person. And because of that, I shouldn't expect to live like a person that doesn't know God. And yet the average Christian sees themselves, they see the only difference between them and a lost man is that when I die, I'm going to heaven, they may go to hell. No, the difference is that right now you're changed. You're a new creature and you have God himself living on the inside of you and God is a spirit and God sees you in the spirit. And even when you've sinned, if you've spent a night of sin, if you've spent a week of sin, a month of sin, five years of sin, if you were born again, God isn't looking at your flesh and all of the stuff that you've done. He looks at you in the spirit and he says, perfect, righteous, truly holy. As Jesus is, that's the way that you are. God looks at you through Jesus and he sees Jesus in you. And because of it, you should be able to do anything that Jesus did. He even said this, the works that I do shall you do also and greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my father. John chapter 14, verse 12. The reason you can do that is because it's not just you. People will say, well, I'm nothing without Jesus. That's absolutely true. But what they're missing is you are never without Jesus. 
He lives on the inside of you. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ himself lives on the inside of you. And if somebody said, well, I'm not sure about that. Well, Romans chapter eight, verse nine says, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. If you don't have the spirit of Christ, you aren't born again. But if you are born again, then you have the spirit of Christ. You are a new creature. God is a spirit and he's looking at you in the spirit and he's answering your prayers, not based on your performance and your goodness, but based on who you are in Christ. And I got some other things I'm wanting to say before I leave this. Let me just say this. Some of you are thinking, all right, I was born again that way, but you don't understand. I've messed up since then and I've lost it and I've got to get back into the favor of God and stuff. The Lord said he'd never leave you nor forsake you. In Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, it says, once you believed, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Your spirit was created righteous and truly holy. It's pure as Jesus is. So are you in your spirit. And then the moment you get born again, you're vacuum packed, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And if you sin as a Christian, that sin enters into your physical body and might give Satan an inroad against you physically to cause some kind of problem. Like for instance, you could go out of here tonight and say, well, man, I heard a guy preach on, I'm holy. I'm righteous and holy and it doesn't matter about my actions. God's looking at me in the spirit. And so because of that, just go out here and rob a store or something. You know what? Your spirit is sealed and it will not penetrate that seal and your spirit will still be holy. You'll still be the righteousness of God as you rot in jail. There are physical consequences. And when you go out and sin, you give Satan an inroad into your physical body and you'll give Satan an inroad into your mind. It will condemn you. And I hadn't got time to teach on this, but I got a tape series or a teaching series out there and a book on it entitled Hardness of Heart. Sin makes you spiritually retarded. You can't perceive, you can't understand. Sin takes away your ability to think. That's what's happened with the world. The world is crazy. The world has lost their mind. And it's because of sin. Sin hardens your heart towards God, which the Bible says makes you unable to see or hear or perceive. Mark chapter eight. And so don't sin. Sin will enter into your body. It'll enter into your mind, but your spirit was created righteous and then it's vacuum packed and that sin cannot penetrate the seal around your spirit. Even if you go sin, your spirit is as righteous and holy and pure as it was the second you were born again. You didn't lose any of your right standing with God. And since God is a spirit, John 4, 24, and you have to worship him in spirit and in truth, that means that even if you've gone out and if you've sinned big time, you can come before God and say, oh God, I come before you in Christ who I am in Christ. And you can enter right into the very presence of God with sin just all over your physical body. I know that there's some religious people right now that your skin is just crawling. We're like, I can't believe he said that. This doesn't encourage people to go sin. Some people, I heard a person today say that if you, if you listen to that guy, 
then uh, it's going to just cause you to go live in sin. It's giving people a license for sin. That's not true. People are sinning pretty good without a license. I'm not giving anybody a license to sin. If you understood this, if you saw who you were in Christ, did you know as a man thinks in his heart, so is he, Proverbs 23, 7. And if you saw yourself righteous and pure and oh God, you love me and you're, you accept me, not based on what my actions are, but based on who I am in the spirit. If you saw that and got to thinking that way, you would live holier accidentally than you ever have on purpose before. Titus chapter two, verse 11 says, the grace of God that appear, that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men. And verse 12 says, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust to live soberly and righteously in this present world. Grace doesn't cause people to go live in sin. It causes people to live holy because you are so thankful for God loving you in spite of who you are. If you ever got a revelation of how passionate God is about you and how much he loves you, I guarantee you, you would give up bubble gum if you thought that it pleased him. You would live for God more than you ever have before. You know, I'm really glad that God called me to preach on grace because there's people that immediately criticize grace as an excuse to go live in sin. And this is just you indulging your flesh. You can't say that about me. I bet you I've lived holier than probably near, nearly any person in here. There may be somebody who's holier than I am in my flesh I'm talking about, but I, there'd be very few. You can't use this as an excuse. Grace hasn't caused me to go live in sin. I spend more time praying, studying the word, seeking God, loving people than most people do, and it has not caused me to go live in sin. That is an unjust criticism. That's like telling somebody, if you give your wife flowers, that's going to make her want to go commit adultery on you. That's not the way it works. The more you show your love to somebody and treat them nice, the more they love you in return. To think that God loving us, independent of our performance, is going to embolden us to go live in sin is just stupid. How dumb can you get and still breathe? That's not true. So anyway, God loves us and we are sealed. And because of that, even if you've got sin in your life, which newsflash, you do. Somebody, well, no, not me. I got it all confessed. You know what? You're constantly coming short of the person that God wants you to be. It doesn't matter if you confessed everything before you came tonight. Some of you have already been thinking bad thoughts about me and some of the things I've said. And you know what? You just constantly fall short. And so you can't trust in those things. Even if you've got sin in your flesh, your spirit, if you're born again, is righteous, holy, and pure. It doesn't lose anything. You know, people that believe every time you sin, you somehow or another lose your salvation and you've got to get born again again. You got to repent and get back into it. And if you were to die with an unconfessed sin in your life, you'd go to hell. That's terrible. That's torment. If I really believe that, then the moment you got born again, I'd just kill you. I might go to hell, but that's the only way you'd ever get to heaven. Because I guarantee you, all of us have unconfessed sin in our life. There's nobody in here that's got it all figured out and everything working properly in your life. 
Man, we all need the grace of God. Amen. We've all got sin in our life. Somebody, well, I don't have big sins. See, you have to start categorizing sin and saying some sins are acceptable sins and other sins are unacceptable sins. But James chapter two, verse 10 says, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you're guilty of all. Did you know if you've never committed adultery, if you've never lied, if you've never stolen, but if you've gone 56 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour speed limit, you've broken the law and you're guilty of the whole thing. That's absolutely true. There's some people who say, man, if you went out and committed adultery and then died in a car wreck and didn't have time to confess it, you'd go to hell. There's a lot of people who believe that. But they wouldn't believe that if you were speeding and had a car wreck, you'd die and go to hell. And yet the same Lord that told you not to commit adultery told you to obey the laws of the land, that they are sent by God. Well, that's an acceptable sin. Why is that an acceptable? Because everybody in here does it. I'm telling you, I'm not, there are varying consequences to sin. You know, going 56 isn't going to produce the same consequences as going 150 and stuff like that. You're going to have a car wreck. You're going to, there's different, there's different consequences, but as far as God's concerned, his standard is perfection. And if you aren't perfect, then you need a savior. And if you have a savior, then you became a brand new person. And in your spirit, you're as righteous and holy as he is because he gave you his holiness and his righteousness. And that never fluctuates. And God sees you in the spirit and God is just thrilled with you. God loves you. And there's many people in here that have never let God love them because your own conscience condemns you and you haven't understood what I'm talking about and you're looking at yourself in the flesh and you don't love you and you just wouldn't let God love you. You know, Psalms chapter 35, verse 27 says, Yea, let all those who favor my righteous cause say continually, The Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. Notice it says, let God do this. You have to let God have pleasure in you. You have to let God love you. And many of us just don't let God love us because we don't feel worthy of it. And it's because we are looking on the outside. God is looking on the inside and he's seeing you in the spirit and he just thinks you're awesome. Amen. And you're saying, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know what Christ has done. <laughs> but you didn't see me when I did this. You haven't seen you in the spirit. I'm telling you, you're awesome. You know, just for time's sake, again, I'm gonna to refer to these things, but over in Numbers chapter 13, the Lord sent spies into the promised land to spy out the promised land. And they came back and they said, oh, it's a beautiful land. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. And they brought back one cluster of grapes. It was so big, they had to put it on a pole and carry it between two men. You know, the way we see the nation of Israel today is nothing like what it used to be. It used to be like the Garden of Eden is what it said. And I mean, could you imagine two men today carrying one cluster of grapes about this big on a pole? I guarantee that thing was gigantic. We don't even, we, we can't even imagine what it was like, but it was awesome. And they said, here's the fruit of it. It is a wonderful place, but there's giants in the land 
and we were in their sight as grasshoppers. They compared themselves in the natural. They looked on the external and these giants were huge. You know, Goliath, it was estimated uh, based on those cubits and things that they give over there in 1 Samuel chapter 17 that he was nine foot six or nine foot nine inches tall. I've stood next to a man who was nine foot six inches tall. That's a giant. And he, he was a giant. And the Jews were short people, usually below five feet. And they, you know what they were saying? It was all true, but it was only physical, natural truths. They didn't see things in the spirit realm. And what the conclusions that they came to were totally wrong. They were all true based on the physical facts, but they were all wrong because they eliminated the spiritual did you know that there's people today who watch the news, who listen to the reports about the economy, about uh, sicknesses and diseases and about all of these kind of things. And you know what? All that stuff may be true, but it's not truth. It's not all that there is. There's also a spiritual truth and there are spiritual things. It may be true that there is a flu season in the natural, but it's not the truth. The truth is that there is no season when you cease to be the righteousness of God and have the same power on the inside of you that raised Christ from the dead. And therefore, you don't have to submit to flu season. You don't have to have AIDS. You don't have to have cancer. Cancer is no big thing for anybody who's got the life of God living on the inside of them. But sad to say, most of us, see, aren't looking in the spiritual realm. We're just looking on outward things. Man looks on the outward appearance and most people are dominating their life based on these physical, natural things. Let me read a passage to you out of Joshua chapter two. Keep in mind that the Lord told them to go in and take the promised land and they said, well, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. They're giants and we're grasshoppers. Look at this in Joshua chapter two. This is when the children of Israel were getting ready to go in and take over the promised land right before they surrounded Jericho and the walls fell down. And Moses sent spies into the promised land and they came to the city of Jericho and a harlot named Rahab took them in and hid them from the king of Jericho and helped them escape. And here's some of the things that she told these spies. It says in verse uh, nine, this is Joshua chapter two, verse nine. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard of how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what he did unto the two kings of the Amorites they were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in the earth beneath. It says, as soon as we heard these things, that happened 40 years before. Did you know that when the spies were in there looking at the promised land, the physical truth is that yes, they were giants and the Israelites were small in comparison. But what they didn't know was 
that as soon as they had heard about them crossing the Red Sea and destroying these two kings, that their heart melted, their courage was gone. There wasn't a single man in the uh, nation that was willing to stand up to the Jews. And they missed that piece of information. If they would have known this, they could have walked into the promised land and it would have been a cakewalk. It was already done. They already had victory guaranteed, but they just looked on things on the outward. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, this is what basically the body of Christ is doing today. You're going in by what the doctor says. And I'm not saying that the doctor lied to you. I'm just saying that the doctor is only telling you the physical, natural truth. But on the inside of you, there is a spirit person that is as powerful and as strong as Jesus is. Can you imagine Jesus being afraid because the doctors told him that he had cancer? And he healed everything. He wouldn't be intimidated by those things. Well, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He's exalted above every name. Cancer's a name. AIDS is a name. Whatever it is, is a name. If we were thinking spiritually and seeing who we are in Christ, you wouldn't be intimidated by things. You wouldn't let people tell you that there's a recession going on and all of a sudden you start planning on being without because God's going to supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But see, we limit God when we look at things in the natural. We just look at ourselves. We only know ourselves in ourselves, in our physical self. And we search your soul, how you feel and stuff. And I feel fear in all of these things. But in the spirit, there is no such thing as fear. In the spirit, Galatians 5:22 says the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's what's in your spirit. There is no fear. There's no depression. If you're depressed, it's because you aren't in the spirit. Your spirit can't be depressed. It never gets depressed. Your spirit is bold as a lion. Deuteronomy, I mean, uh, Psalms, where is it? Anyway, it's someplace. Proverbs 28, 1. You're bold as a lion. The righteous are bold as a lion. And you know what? You in your spirit are bold. You're strong. You're confident. You've got the same faith that Jesus had. You know, I'm preaching everything I know to you tonight. Amen. I've got, I've got multiple teachings that cover each one of these points that I'm making. But you've got the faith of God. People say, oh, I know faith works. I just don't have any. You've got the same amount and quality of faith that Jesus had. You don't need more faith. You need to renew your mind to what you already have in your spirit. You are full of faith. People say, oh, God, anoint me. You're already anointed. He that hath anointed us is Christ. First Corinthians chapter, second Corinthians chapter one, you're already anointed. And yet I go to a lot of churches and they pull me into a room on the side and they, they start praying, oh God, anoint Andrew. And I always think, why did you even ask me to come if you don't think I'm anointed? You have to ask five minutes before I get up there for God to anoint me. And yet people ask for an anointing. People, oh God, send revival as if it's up to God whether revival comes. God has already put the fullness of his person on the inside of you. You are as full of God as you can possibly get. If you want revival, release what's on the inside of you instead of begging God to send something else. 
go out and do the same works that Jesus did. Go raise a few people from the dead. See some blind eyes open and you'll have all the revival that you can handle. We're asking God to send revival when he says these signs will follow you. We're saying, God, send the signs and I'll follow them. No, he says these signs will follow you. Get out of your prayer closet and quit begging God for revival. Find out who you are and go to acting like a Christian and go up to somebody and command them to come back to life. Command power and I guarantee you, you'll have revival. I tell you, it's all of this stuff comes because we are so carnal we only know things in the physical. If you can't see anything, if nobody runs the aisle, if nobody has a goosebump go up and down their spine, if nobody falls on the floor and flops, if nothing happens, then we say, well, God wasn't within a hundred miles of that place. We pray stupid prayers like, oh God, go with us throughout this week. What a dumb prayer when he says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And yet we're asking him to go with us. Oh God, come and be with us. I tell you, if I was God, I think I'd just say they're hopeless. But see, God sees differently. God sees you in the spirit and in the spirit, you've got everything. You're perfect, you're complete. You're as pure and holy as Jesus is. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. And God sees you that way. Even when our head is so stupid and we're doing things wrong, your little spirit's perfect. And God looks at you in the spirit. And the key to the Christian life is learning how to agree with God, to see things from God's standpoint. And how do we do that? The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The word will tell you who you are in the spirit. You can't go look in the mirror and see if you're holy and pure. All it's gonna do is reflect your physical body. You can't search your emotions, your personality part, because all it's gonna do is reflect the soul to you. The only way to know what's going on in the spirit is through the word of God. In James chapter one, it says, he that looks into the perfect law of liberty, talking about the word of God is like a man that looks in a mirror and beholds his natural face. But instead of seeing your physical face, you're seeing your spiritual person. And the word of God says, like in 1 John chapter three, that whosoever is born of God cannot commit sin. People have tried to interpret that, again, thinking only in physical, fleshly terms. And they say, man, you can't commit sin. Well, what does that mean? And they say, well, it means you can't habitually sin. That's not what that means. Did you know that if you're overweight, you habitually sin? I heard one amen. <laughs> Must have been a skinny person over here. <laughs> Some of you saying, what are you saying? I'm saying that you can't get fat overeating one time. You know, you could eat today until you literally pass out and you might gain a few pounds, but you cannot get fat overeating one time. If you are overweight, which I'm not condemning anybody, I'm overweight, I'm working on it. I hadn't eaten all day. I didn't intend it to be that way, it just happened. I ate a breakfast real early this morning. But anyway, my point is, that you know, I'm not condemning anybody for being overweight, but I'm just saying, if you're overweight, you didn't get there one time. You're overweight because you habitually overeat. 
Thank you for that thunderous silence. I'm not condemning you, but I'm just saying, well, I can't help it. I just can't help it. I just look at food and gain weight. That's a lie. You can help it. Most of you, it's been decades since anybody fed you. You feed yourself. Everything that goes in your mouth, you choose to put it there. If you're overweight, you chose to be overweight. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying that if you're going to say, well, that means you can't habitually sin. The Bible says that you aren't, you know, gluttony is listed right next to drunkenness and adultery and all of these other things. Overweight's the sin. God loves you. I love you. I love me. I'm overweight. But I'm, I'm saying that it's wrong. If you're going to say this means you can't habitually sin, then that means that you can't be jealous. You can't continually fail to read the word the way that you should. You can't continually fail to love your wife or to reverence your husband. You can't continually keep going over the speed limit. All of those things are sin. That's not talking about habitual sin. It says that if you are born of God, the only part of you that is born of God is your born again spirit. And that spirit can not sin. There is no sin in your spirit. Your spirit doesn't sin. It doesn't have any sin. It doesn't have any discouragement. It doesn't have any depression. It doesn't have fear. It doesn't have worry. It doesn't have care. If you've got any of those things, you aren't in the spirit. You are in the flesh. You are dealing with things from your physical ability and power. You are dealing with things as a mere human being. You aren't standing in who you are in Christ. You aren't in the spirit. In your spirit, you're perfect. In your spirit, you've already won. Man, this is awesome. I'm about to get myself blessed. This is what changed my life because I was an introvert. I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. I was... I just had problem after problem after problem. And when I saw this, my whole personality changed because I started basing it on who I was in Christ instead of what I felt in my emotions, what I saw in my physical body. And you know what? I'm, I'm not deceived. I'm, I'm aware of my limitations in my physical body. You know, I have people make fun of me all the time for the way I talk. I've had people call me Gomer Pyle. And I only had one person today talk about how that they didn't like me at first when they saw me on television. It's typical when I go to our Bible colleges, everyone will say, man, I thought this guy's not anointed. He's just sitting there. He's not even excited. And people just pass me by for years. You know what? I'm not the most charismatic person. If I was God, I wouldn't have chosen me. I don't have any deception about it. I don't have to... I don't have to lie about myself and to say I don't have problems for me to feel good because I base it not on who I am in the flesh, but on who I am in the spirit. And in the spirit, I'm awesome. And I've, I've switched my identity to who I am in Christ. And I tell you what, I'll charge hell with a water pistol if God told me to do it because I know who I am in Christ. 
And I'm recognizing I've got all kinds of limitations in my flesh, but in my spirit, I'm limitless. And I've just learned to change my identity. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, every one of us need to do this. You're awesome. God is leading some of you to do things that you're sitting there and discounting it because you're just looking at things in the natural. We had people today testify about how God wanted them to come to Bible college and they just gave all of these reasons why it couldn't happen because they were looking in the physical. They were looking at physical limitations, finances, distance, uh, schedules, you know, all the demands that they had and just on and on and on. But see, if you look at things in the spiritual, it ought to be like this. If God tells you to do something, you don't debate it. I don't even relate to people that will sit there and say, God told me to go to Bible college. And then they say, but. Man, you just need to get your butt out of the way. <laughs> Amen. You need to get to where you, if God tells you to do something, you just do it. If God tells me to do it, then that means that I've got some way of doing it. You know, when we started building this $32 million building that we just finished back in January, I didn't have a penny, but God told me to do it. And it was during the quote unquote great recession. And you know what? We brought in $32 million on top of my $2 million I have to have every month to pay my bills. And we brought it all in and paid for the thing debt free. And, and uh, now two weeks ago, I started on another $35 million project and I'll get it done debt free. And I can guarantee you that in myself, I can't do that. But I don't have to do it in myself. All I've got to do is walk in the spirit and recognize I can do all things. You know, if those Israelites would have been looking at things properly, they would have said, man, those poor old giants, they hadn't got a chance. See, that's what David in effect did. First, Corinthians, uh, First Samuel chapter 17. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Everybody else saw Goliath as this giant. David saw him as a person. He doesn't have a covenant. I'm the one with the covenant. That's what circumcision was talking about. He doesn't have a covenant. This isn't a fair fight. This giant hadn't got a chance. He's going up against an anointed king. That's the way that you ought to look at it. You ought to look at cancer and say, cancer, I feel sorry for you. You hadn't got a chance. Man, the greater one lives on the inside of me. That's the way, and if you would look at things from that standpoint, if you would judge it based on who you are in Christ, I guarantee you all of your problems would shrink down to where they're nothing. Some of you are facing financial problems and I'm not saying that you don't have these things in the natural, but you don't know who you are in the spiritual. You don't know what God has given you. You know, I know sometimes people think preachers just don't have the same problems as other people. It's just somehow or another different. We, we operate by different rules, but that's not true. Matter of fact, in many respects, it's harder on preachers than it is other people. You got a big target drawn on you. Satan's got a lot at stake. If he could, if he could make me fall and my things that I'm speaking not come to pass, it could affect a lot of people. So I've got opposition that some of you don't have. But I'm saying that some of you, when I talk about seeing a $32 million, well, you're a preacher and that's different for you. It's not any different. If I could believe for 32 million, and I guarantee you, I didn't have any, you could believe for 3,200 or whatever it is that you're believing for. There's no temptation taking us, but such as a common demand. 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It's not different for me than it is for anybody else. Man, you can believe God. You can trust God. You can prosper in the midst of a recession. You can see your son raised from the dead. My son was raised from the dead after being dead for five hours. He sat up raised from the dead with no brain damage, no more than he had before. <laughs> you can see miracles happen. You can do it because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But you got to quit knowing yourself based on the outward. You got to start looking on the heart in your spirit and find out who you are and let the Lord reveal to you and recognize that God loves you and he's pleased with you. Brothers and sisters, if you understood what I've been saying tonight, there wouldn't be a problem getting any person in here healed. Did you know that there isn't any, it doesn't take any more anointing of God to heal cancer than it does a cold. Cancer isn't harder than a cold. I have people come to me all the time like, I've got something really bad. You're going to have to really believe. <laughs> it doesn't take more of God to heal certain things than other things. You know, the only thing that makes a difference is your level of unbelief. You don't have as much fear associated with a cold as you do cancer. You don't have as much worry associated. Those are the things that hinder and that make it harder to overcome because you don't, you aren't afraid of dying of a cold, but you let fear of dying of cancer come in and it affects you. And, but see, there's, there's no difference in God's eyes. If you understood that, you could start seeing anything overcome. It doesn't take more power to get a person out of the wheelchair than it does to heal a headache. But the difference is there's a different level of unbelief. There's a different level of fear. People look at things carnally. If you understood what I was talking about, you could be healed of anything tonight. You could be over your depression because in the spirit you aren't depressed. In your spirit you are praising God and your little spirit's jumping up and down and rejoicing right now over what I'm saying because it's hearing the truth. Depression, you don't have to take a pill for depression. Just take the gospel, amen. Find out who you are in Christ and you'll be over it. I'm telling you, this truth opened up the word of God to me. This is what made everything come alive and it's what my whole life is based on. Any teaching that I've got about the grace of God, about healing, deliverance, prosperity, peace, anything, all comes back to these truths. This will revolutionize your life. And I believe that God brought you here tonight and laid this on my heart to share because you need to understand this. And it doesn't matter if you've seen it before. We tend to slip back because again, the physical is so dominant in most people's lives. You don't hear very many people talking this way about who you are in Christ. And so people just by default go back to these carnal way of thinking. But I'm telling you, you are awesome in your spirit. And because of it, you could enter boldly into the very presence of God. And God is passionate about you. He loves you. Even though you have failed, even though you aren't the person that you're supposed to be, God doesn't look at you on the outside. He's looking at you in your spirit and you are absolutely awesome. You would quit being intimidated. You would quit being fearful. You would get a superiority attitude instead of an inferiority attitude if you know who, knew who you were in Christ. Man, that's awesome. I've got at least 40 or 50 books and tape sets on what I've just talked about tonight. 
I gave you a shotgun shot. And I can promise you, some of you may have thought, oh man, I, I see it. You're going to have to do more than just see it. This is going to have to soak on the inside of you. And this, it, it takes a little bit of effort to overcome all of the wrong thinking that we've had for so many years. So I encourage you to take these things and pray about it. Get the materials and let God reveal this to you. And I promise you, if this affects you half as much as it affected me, you're never going to be the same. This has revolutionized my life and I've never gotten over it. I never intend on getting over it. Amen. Amen. And I tell you, it changes everything. It changes the way you pray. If you don't have to beg God for forgiveness, if you approach him in the spirit that's already forgiven and cleansed of all sin, past, present, and even future sin, it changes the way you pray. You, don't, you aren't a beggar anymore. You aren't coming before God begging and pleading and talking about how unworthy you are, but you approach God praising him for how awesome he is to love somebody as unworthy as you. Amen. It changes everything. It'll ruin you. It'll get you where you can't go to most churches. It'll be hard to find a good church that'll preach the word. But that's a good problem. Amen. You know, if there's anybody here tonight who doesn't know Jesus We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.